0: With Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Ball loose. Give me one. Lance. Give me Lance. one Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again! Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Ray. Pooch with another one! Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes! Halliburton leaves it off for Batazi. Go go! Job. Oh, what a move by Heald, he only lays it in. Healed. hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch, Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal, out running is Brissett. Pounds it all. it to Taylor. Taylor missed it, tips it in. Warren lets it climb. Yes! T.J. Halliburton gonna slam it at
1: the other end. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. It's been a couple days since I have talked to you guys, but Fachi is still on that five-week honeymoon. It feels like so. Uh, today we are joining uh, joining me today are uh, three friends of mine, and uh, you might know them on on social media, but might not know who they are. Uh, we've got at Shady Buffalo Podcast. We've got. Uh, Big Luca, and we've also got uh Lincoln Anderson, which I think is pretty. Is it Spagoo on Twitter as well? So it's like nobody probably knows any of these names at all, but uh, <laughs> I actually coached uh, so Lincoln is at Spagoo, uh, Carson is at Big Luca, and I actually coached them in basketball a little bit. And then me and David uh grew up, you guys know David from uh, multiple other podcasts we've done together, but he's at Shady Buffalo Pod. On Twitter. So lots to discuss here today, but uh, I want to I want to get to just kind of like let the fans know you guys a little bit better. So I think, David, they know you the best. So we'll go to you last. Let's start with Carson. Uh, You're kind of a Pacer fan, but you are a bigger fan of another team. So kind of explain what team you like and, uh, you know, how you like the Pacers.
2: Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Indiana, so I like all things Colts, Pacers, just almost out of obligation, and we'll always root for them uh, for the rest of my life. But I'm also a bandwagon Mavs fan. When the Mavs drafted Luca, I saw him play like a couple games um, and just like immediately fell in love with his game. So I'm a Mavs fan. But I mean, if I had, to, if I could pick a team to go to the finals and they just like make it, I out of obligation, I feel like I would have to go to the Pacers. They deserve it. Yeah. um so but I yeah I love both both teams a lot but
1: well I want to go back to that real quick because you said you became a Mavs fan when Luca went there so uh were you uh at all uh disappointed when they fired Rick Carlisle or Rick Carlisle stepped away in Dallas and uh what what have you thought about Rick Carlisle so far here with Indiana
2: no I actually um I was very much okay with it I didn't I was kind of like I felt like the Mavs were due for a change. I felt like they needed a change. They couldn't really afford to waste a ton of years of Luka underneath this like rookie deal. Um, So I was interested to see like where they went from there. Then they hired Jason Kidd and like, I didn't feel great about that, but kudos to him. He's done a great job with them. And then I actually thought that the Indiana hiring of Rick Carlisle was, that was pretty shocking to me just to like bring him back. Um, And even that, I kind of felt similarly where I was like, I didn't, wasn't quite sure about the fit, um, but I think with from what I've seen with Carlisle in Dallas and what I've seen him do this year, I think that moving forward I do have confidence in uh, Carlisle in Indiana. So yeah. the way it worked out for both teams I think has been good. Yeah, so I think a lot of
1: Indiana Pacers fans probably do low-key like Luka, uh, especially being in the Western Conference. Now the man we're about to go to next to figure out why who he became a fan of uh, what got him interested in basketball? I don't think any of the Pacer fans are going to like this one as much. So, uh, Lincoln, before you get booed off the stage here by all of our <laughs> listeners, uh, tell us who you love first and then why you like the Pacers just a little bit after him. So,
3: I had never really been into basketball until around 2010 and then became a bandwagon Miami Heat fan because of LeBron. Yeah. Was, yeah, exactly. I like <laughs> I am self-aware enough to know that I'm the worst sports fan. Like I'm I'm not, (laughs) there's no misgivings about that, but I, uh, and I followed that pretty closely. And so it, it was a coincidence, but it also, you know, I feel like this had a little bit to do with it. He went to the West and it definitely helped me become more of an unabashed Pacer fan. So that next season we got uh, a 10 game pass and I was trying to go to as many games as I could. And, I really started liking the team and following them a lot closer after like the 2018 season. So went from like casually rooting for their success unless they are playing LeBron to uh very much rooting for it now.
1: Well, that's awesome. I, I think it's cool to see that. And obviously, LeBron going to the West. Uh, it was it was a nice change of pace for all Indiana Pacer fans. And then David. Uh, I just want to know how you're feeling right now. Obviously, it's been a rough season so far. I mean, some interesting things to watch, but uh, we're going to get into all that in a little bit. But just uh, this year for you, the last time I think we talked on this podcast was after the Pacers almost took down the Nets when Kevin Durant should have actually been ejected for throwing the ball into the stands, but for some reason they didn't. And Rick Carlisle was hot. Uh, so, what have you thought so far of this season? And uh, you know, what do you, what do you think about our guests? Uh, slowly becoming pacer fans.
4: Well, I am thrilled to have them be more and more Pacers fans. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, that's great. But the season's been a hot mess, obviously. It's been tough. Um, there is the positive of the last couple of weeks and month or so um, after the trade. And I know that you would have preferred they trade Miles. I was on the side of, I wanted them to trade Domas. I did not think it would happen. Mm -hmm. I was 100% sure that it wouldn't happen. And then here we are. Um, And it really wasn't that I didn't want him on the team. I thought we could get a better player out of him uh, than we we would have had a Miles. And, you know, that theoretical turned into reality with Halliburton. I did not think we could, could get someone like him. I thought we would get somebody little more veteran, not quite as young and uh, unproven yet, and you know has has room to grow, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that fact has l- kept me excited for this season, <laughs> even though the season's yeah. over. I mean, it's been over for two, three, four months. <laughs> but the f- uh, the future and seeing the first steps of what could be a good team in a year or two years or three years is exciting. And um, I have watched. Uh, March Madness with a whole new eye this year. I've never ever watched March Madness thinking, which of these guys should the Pacers draft? I've never done that before because mm-hmm. we've always drafted in the fifteen to twenty-five range. We've never drafted in the top five, or it, it, you know, it may slide to seven or eight or nine, given you know we mentioned off here the injury to Sabonis. Yeah, with the Kings and then the Trailblazers just putting forth. One of the worst rosters I've ever seen. Oh, my
1: God. I mean, that's worse than a G League team. I mean, what they put out there on Sunday, I like. I was going to watch the game, and I was like, you know what? I don't need to watch this game. I'm going to go take a nap. So I took yeah. a nap instead. Like, that's where I'm at to this point. Uh, you know, you talked about the season has just kind of felt like it's been a little bit long. Um, I feel like it's been like five seasons within one. Like, you had the Duarte season, then you had the Brad Wanamaker season. <laughs> Then you had the (laughs) we're tanking season. And then you had the Lance Stevenson season. And now we are at the Halliburton season. So (laughs) it literally has just been a very, very long season that I am ready for it to be over. Like just take me out of my misery, trying to watch these meaningless games, like seeing that E by the Pacers in the standings and seeing them like, okay, why are we trying to win this game? Like clearly we need to keep trying to lose as many as possible. I think the remaining schedule, uh, there's only two games I think we should be favored in potentially, and that's the Sacramento Kings game and the Pistons game. But there's a lot of opportunities here for us to lose. But I want to get right into this. So we have about seven topics here that we're going to talk about. It's just going to be a roundtable discussion. So uh, we're going to start here, obviously, with, with Halliburton. And so I sent you guys this topic, and you know, trading for Halliburton, I was really just kind of blown away by Kevin Pritchard saying this is the franchise of the next decade, or uh, the, the point guard of the next decade for this franchise, franchise player. And so we have never really heard him say that before uh, about any player that he's traded for. Like when he had Sabonis on his team, like he even said he wasn't a star they want to manufacture a star. So, I mean, he even threw some shade at him. Sabonis got mad and that's why KP apologized and backtracked and rebuttaled on Twitter. But moving forward now, do you guys feel that Tyrese Halliburton is a franchise player where he can be the centerpiece of a team, or do you feel like he's more of a co-star to a team that really needs a star? And I'll start first back with you, Carson.
2: So my answer to that is 110%. I think Halliburton is wise beyond his years and has like just a maturity to his game um, already. And so as that develops and as his skills develop offensively, he becomes a stronger defender and continues to learn the NBA game. I do have a lot of faith. Um, that he has what it takes to be one of the best pure point guards in this league. Um, Mm. But I think to answer your more overall question, I do think that he lies kind of somewhere in between the two um, because although I do believe he has what it takes and he has the personality as well to be the face of a franchise type player. But I do think as being a more pure traditional point guard that he'll need another star alongside him as a primary scoring option and I view Halliburton as a more, like I said, a more traditional point guard in a league that's stacked with your like scoring guards, essentially. So I would be quicker to put him in a category like a Chris Paul than I would be to compare him to like a Luca Steph, or a Trey Young. So I kind of think he's kind of in the middle of those two genres of players. I got you. Like it?
3: Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting discussion because, like, I mean, like Carson said, these – Like heliocentric is like a term that I've heard a lot in regards to those players like Luca, like LeBron, where it's like, they're going to score 30 they they're going to get you 10 assists, they're going to be everything. And obviously, I just named, you know, two of the best eight players in the NBA, one who's like, at worst, a top three player all time. So those guys aren't, they don't come around often. So when you actually look at what he gives us as a point guard, I do think that He's pretty unique in that we're a very point guard rich league right now, but ones that can like properly run an offense and not also have to take the most shots on the team is a pretty rare mix. So I do think that with that him being our best player, we're probably a little lower ceiling than some other like guards but I do think him as our second best player puts us at like a higher ceiling than a lot of those other guards. Like he's very complimentary. Mm -hmm. And like I was listening to the last episode and like deferential is the term that comes out a lot. And normally that could be a bad thing, but I think it really is a good thing with his game because he's very good passer, very good three-point shooter. He can kind of just fit wherever you need him to in an offense. Mm -hmm. David?
4: Yeah. I think that the way you worded the question really put us in a bind. (laughs)
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: <laughs> which is good. That's good. That means good conversation, right? So to me, it's kind of yes, kind of no, which is a little bit what Carson was saying. He's clearly the centerpiece of our current team, and he should be even though he's not the one that like, he is, he's guiding the offense, right? But he isn't the one that they're trying to set up for shots and trying to set up for drives and trying to set up to score. He's more in control though. Uh, but is he like, if our goal is to be a contender, which, you know, I don't know if you guys saw, but he, the Pacers quote, uh, gave a, or posted a quote from him and that, which shows that like our goal is obviously to be a contender and to be a contender as soon as possible. And I think that, he, as the the guy, right, the number one star player, we're not going to be a contender. Like, I think we could maybe get out of the first round in a couple of years if he develops like we think he, he will. But I think that's why this draft could be incredibly important because we still do need something to go with him. <laughs> mm. And I think yeah. that uh, he's like a B-plus player, maybe A-minus player, like depending on, obviously, the development. Which is a big question mark because he is still so young. I looked at our roster today just to like go through some of these questions and double check some stuff. And I forgot how young he was. Like I knew he was young, but part of it is that we're used to these twenty-four-year-old rookies on this team now. So, see, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To see, like, unfortunately, you know, I know I love Duarte to, to be exactly, clear, yeah. but he, you know, uh, Halliburton is much younger even than most. And this is his, what his third year, second year, second year. Yeah, it's the second year. So, like for a second year player to be twenty one, like you know he's he's younger and has a lot more time to develop, and so it's kind of hard to to give a definitive answer on that. For right now, my answer is that he will be an amazing number two guy. Like it's, I hate using the term Batman and Robin because Robin gets crapped on all the time, and so he does not deserve to be crapped on. <laughs> but right. he he'll be a he would be an amazing number two guy next to a guy. Like if we still had a Victor Oladipo or a Apollo George on this team in their primes, like that's oh, yeah. the kind of guy I want to put next to Halliburton.
1: Yeah. I think but, anything's better than Buddy Heald next to him. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, just let's just be real here. Like, you know, he's been a little bit deferential to, to Buddy Heald at times this year, but I, I would say this just to kind of like move the conversation here a little bit forward. I I'm curious, you guys' thoughts on maybe some things that you've noticed from his game that makes you feel like he could elevate that or have shown signs that he could be that A level player. You know, because I think a couple of things that I've noticed um, he's not done it a lot, but when he attacks the rim, kind of the stare downs he gives some of the guys after he does it like okay yeah you can't guard me that kind of thing I like that cockiness I want to see him do that more I feel like he is a little bit hesitant in doing it all the time um you know and and stuff like there I talked about it before on the podcast that thunder game that they lost at home when Lance Stevenson hit the game tying three he had the chance to take a big time shot and he threw it to Isaiah Jackson in the corner there and Isaiah Jackson stepped out of bounds, it's like, okay, this is your rookie center. You're supposed to be the franchise-level player. This guy is a rookie center that's only starting because our starting center, Miles Turner, is out. So to me, this is where he has to say, look, I'm the dude. Let me let me take over. And we haven't really seen that yet, but I think there's been flashes throughout the game where we've seen him have big runs that I think he could grow from that. So I'll, uh, I'll go back. I'll go to Lincoln this time first. Do you, have you seen anything so far in his game where you think he could just continue to grow off that to elevate into an A-level player?
3: I think that him having the talent to do so and him having the personality to do so are maybe two different conversations. Because, like, I do think that he is so much more capable than what he does. He only really does what he's very good at, which is good, but it also, like, it talks to that polish of that he has at 21, which is almost unbelievable. Like, David, I mean, it was shocking being like, oh, yeah, he's played 120 NBA games. Like, it's pretty insane. And so, I mean, I like, this is a stat that I looked up that, like, this is how I view him, basically. He's the only guy ever, and he's done this only with the Pacers. So, I mean, it's a small sample size, but he's the only guy ever to shoot over 40% on threes, over six three-pointer attempts a game, and over nine assists a game. He's the only guy ever to do that for if he did it for a full season. So, I mean, he's the perfect complement to a more dominant star. So that's, that's what I view him as going forward. And, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about this draft. But I think that him being here as a potential number two star is so much – I mean, like, Domas was great, and I'm not the type of person that's going to, like, crap on players once we get rid of him. But – You can't really just plug and play any number two with Domas. He's a very specific player. You have to get like really specific guys with him. And I feel like Halliburton's the exact opposite. He could play on 30 NBA teams and be one of their best three guys, basically.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I agree with that, too, even though I am a big Sabonis fan, as you all are well aware of. um, You know, I think pairing Sabonis with a guy like Fox is actually – a really good pairing because we saw how good he was with Oladipo. I think if Fox can get a little bit more of a consistent three-point shot, then that's a great pairing. Um, and like you said, I think Halliburton and Sabonis would have been a really fun pairing as well. But uh, yeah. those two together, you know, that that was never going to happen based on what the Pacers were, had to give up to get him a Carson. Anything else you want to add to this conversation?
2: Yeah, Lincoln started to get there, but he left a little bit of room for me, so thank you for that. Um, but I think with um, with Halliburton, the thing that I've noticed the most is just his – uncanny ability to have the most efficient 19 point game that like almost that you can have without having a James Harden free throw attempt number. He will get his 12 shots and he'll get 19 points on 12 shots shooting in that 50 to 65% uh, field goal percentage rate in a league that is analytics driven that we're not really in that mid-2000s NBA anymore where 45% or 40% from your guards is going to cut it. Um, so I think he is perfect for this modern NBA, but just his crazy efficiency in that uh, scoring area is what I've noticed. So if he if he can maintain that with his attempts going up, I think that, if anything, would be what would push him into that more A-list type player. David?
4: Yeah, I think the last thing I would add is he does something as a point guard that I don't think we've seen in a long time. As a Pacer fan, I can't even really pull a name. I think what he does is he, he doesn't just get assists, right? He gets assists that make his other his teammates like look better and maybe even actually perform better based off of passes that he can make that other people just could not either, number one, make the pass, or number two, even see that it's, that's there I mean the pass he made the, am I wrong? He made the pass that set up that reverse dunk the other night, right? He made the yeah, first pass Yeah. and Lance made the behind the back pass, which is all the flashy. That's a great pass too. It's, yeah. it's an incredible, the timing on Lance's pass there, how, how quick that was is what made it good. <laughs> but still it took Tyrese to launch the ball down the court to get there. And I don't know that Brogdon would do that. I don't know that even other great point guards we've had in the past would see that down all the way down the court, um, is something that I haven't seen in, from a Pacers point guard in a really long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about probably Jamal Tinsley since we've seen that kind of passing. I mean, Tinsley was a knucklehead, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I know there's a lot of stuff that we can get into with Jamal Tinsley, but for a couple of years there, I mean, he had some sick passes, and you can oh, yeah. go back and watch those on YouTube uh, if you don't believe me. But you guys talked about the draft. I won't keep harping on Halliburton, but um, – I think that you got to start with rebuilding like Halliburton's obviously your centerpiece moving forward, adding pieces around him and just trying to make this team work. Obviously, Duarte is probably a part of that core as well. But like you mentioned earlier, he's 24. So, uh, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a centerpiece of this team, but I think it'll be a part of it. So, this next topic we're going to go to is if the Pacers were somehow lucky enough to get into the top four of this NBA draft with the draft lottery. Who do you think is the best overall fit for this team? Not so who do you think is going number one, anything like that, but just who do you think is the best overall fit? And uh, I'll go back to you, David, to start this one out.
4: Sure. Yeah, I think I'm sold on Jaden Ivey. I'm not positive he's the best player. And part of it is I have watched very little college basketball this year. I will fully admit, like, I just prefer watching uh, overall, watching the NBA and watching the Pacers. Uh, when I do watch college basketball, it's usually IU, which has not been great this year. So <laughs> I have watched a ton this weekend, primarily because I knew we were going to see opportunities to see people like Jaden Ivey and Jabari Smith and not only see them play, but see them and sometimes play each other where you have a game where you have a couple of uh, top 10 talents playing against each other. So that was a cool opportunity, given that we are pretty much guaranteed to have a top 10 pick. So. I think the reason why I would go Ivy over a power forward, which I think a power forward is probably the bigger area of need. I'll be the first to admit that, mm-hmm. but I think, like we talked about earlier, the to me the best thing to put with Tyrese is a scorer, like just a really strong scorer. And I think that Ivy is maybe, at, for, well, you know, maybe not right now, but is already one of the best scorers in college and then has the potential that to translate over to be an elite scorer in the NBA. Um, He can shoot. He like on the fast break, what he was doing even just the other day, was it yesterday was, was the game Mm -hmm. uh, that, and he basically didn't do anything the whole first half. And I was like, okay, well, I guess maybe we're not going to draft Jane Jane and Ivy. And then the second (laughs) half, he was like amazing. Okay. Well, maybe we're all going to draft Jane. Ivy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Now he had a great drive and kick to the three, which was great. I yeah. love watching that just because he's so dynamic at getting to the rim. He had a sick dunk as well on somebody. So yep. uh, he's a he's a special player for sure. Um, the man that actually has his NCAA tournament bracket called Tank for Jabari Carson. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, is that who you think you would want for the Pacers as their uh, best fit?
2: So this is tough because, and I'm not going to lie, and I'll get, I'll, actually, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'll, we'll get there. So as the roster currently is, so assuming no trades, assuming you have Malcolm Brogdon on this team moving forward, which that's not a very safe assumption, but as the roster currently is, current fit, I think someone like either Jabari Smith or Palo Bancaro would make for the best fit. However, Jaden Ivey is the draft prospect that excites me the most in terms of possibilities, yeah. Um, and again, maybe I'm just living off the hype of that Texas-Purdue <laughs> game uh, and just watching Jaden Ivy run the fast break, watching him go up and get rid of posterize some guy as he gets fouled. It just like my mind saw uh, Ja Morant in every single one of those uh, explosions. And so just – but from what I've seen, I think Ivy might be who I'm most confident in to succeed at the next level. Um But again, in terms of fit, like if Tyrese Halliburton is that spread the ball around point guard, I kind of drew the analogy, and this won't be the first time I'll draw the analogy to him and Chris Paul, although there are differences, that's just who I'm referring to. Um, I think having someone like Jabari uh, or Paolo fill that like kind of Blake Griffin role, or even I think Jabari has shown some like young Kevin Durant flashes at times, Um, having that scoring Uh, guy at the forward spot is intriguing but ivy is still kind of who would excite me the most just because that is a i feel like that would be a crazy fun team lincoln
3: well as the only purdue fan on this call i was like very (laughs) in on ivy from like months ago like i was like man (laughs) pacer's about to have a high pick for the first time in ever right at the time that purdue has their best player or best prospect ever so i was like man that's You know, that's storybook. That would be incredible. But I do think, like, there is something to be said about that. Like, as our roster currently stands, he's not technically the best positional fit. But I do think that if, say, we get the third pick and Ivy's there at the, like, available, I think that Brogdon's clock with the Pacers starts to, like, tick. And I'm not saying they trade him this offseason, but, like, I think – probably before next off season he Mm -hmm. would be. And that's great. Like I love, I love Malcolm Brogdon. I think that he's a great culture player to have, but I do think that an Ivy uh, Halliburton backcourt would be one of the most exciting in the NBA and like, you know, the most exciting the pitches have had since like Mark Jackson and Reggie Miller, (laughs) which is like, (laughs) that's, you know, that's a bold claim.
4: Yeah. And (laughs) it's,
1: Go ahead. Not alive for that, but you know. <laughs> right. But it's a little bit more athletic, I think. No offense to Mark Jackson and Reggie Miller, but those two guys are just a much more athletic group yeah. of uh, talented players. And I mean, obviously, Jaden Ivy feels like the simple answer here. Yeah. But, you know, watching this weekend, like you said, David, I mean, obviously, it's hard to catch all these games throughout the year just because life is so busy for a lot of us, unless we're doing this for a living. So, Uh, You know, I've I've been studying draft coverage here for the last couple of months, and I've talked to a lot of people, but I I will just say this. I think Jaden Ivey is probably the most exciting, but one thing that really gets me excited is just the thought of Jabari Smith with an actual point guard. If you look at that Auburn team, their guard play is just god-awful, and sometimes they feel like they're the stars of the team instead of getting it to him and Kessler which were the best two players on that team and that's what helped them dominate that first game that they had against I think it was like Jacksonville State or something I can't remember they're playing a 15 seed but Miami was got guard driven team and it just completely obliterated Auburn because their guards couldn't match up so I will say for Jabari like you talked about you saw that dunk that he had in that first game it was a poster that he had uh he has flashes of that. Obviously, he's a little bit thicker than Kevin Durant was coming out of college, but his stroke from three is unreal. Uh, I had a, I had a draft analyst come on and talk about him just a little bit as we were previewing this tournament, and he, can, he compared him to a power forward Clay Thompson-like player. So I'm not saying that he has necessarily got the A-star level potential because I still think that if you're looking at someone that could be that A-level player, I, I would say in my opinion – that Ivy and Boncaro are probably more suited for that A-level player than Jabari. But mm-hmm. I, I think Jabari could eventually work his way into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just depends on where he falls. Now, there's some speculation it could be the number one overall pick. Uh, I really feel like out of these four players in the top four, you can make the case for any of them going number one. So uh, I'll go back to you, David. We'll go back in order that we did. I want you to rank these four players, one through four, uh, in terms of how you would want them in terms of if you're the Pacers drafting here, who would you want?
4: So assuming that the fourth that we haven't mentioned is Chet, right? Yeah. Okay. So funny side note, it's definitely connected to this, but I was looking at mock drafts to, to prepare. And one of them that was created in, in the last couple of days had us getting, uh, had us getting Jane Nivey at five, which I thought it was crazy, but I don't okay. see that happening. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't for, for sure. I think, I think that it was it was either Tai Tai or what's the guy from No 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 African, AJ and, Griffin from Duke. No No. They're Jaden Sharp. Jaden Sharp. Sharp. It was Jayden it was Jaden Sharp jump, jumping up into like the four spot, but either way, that probably won't happen. So for me, I think it's Jaden Ivy number one, number two, I would say Jabari, three, Paolo, and then four, would be Chet. Not anything against Chet. I just like.
1: He didn't look good in that game against Memphis. Yeah,
4: he didn't look, I mean, he, he looks good defensively, but we have that in Miles Turner. And yeah, sure, if you want to just replace Miles with him, he can be better than Miles. He has definitely, he's a better shooter than Miles, has some other things that Miles cannot do that he can do. But Miles, for all of his issues, is probably 150 pounds heavier than Chet. <laughs> 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 so there is definitely, I, I don't know how, I just can't in my mind imagine Chet banging with like, any top center like Jokic should just have a field day with him I feel like you know I, I, don't, I don't know so I'd pay him at four just for the Pacers since we have a center yeah and I think the power forward and guard is more important for us
1: and I don't think I don't think you're wrong for putting him forth either like it's not a knock on him either because I feel like all four guys are super talented yeah. and do different things so I don't I don't necessarily think it's like, oh man he sucks but like
4: no no you know
1: no. that's the thing where somebody's like oh god he's awful it's like no he's not awful but Putting him forth doesn't really knock him down as a prospect to me, but uh, Carson probably the closest one to looking like Chet. For sure. uh, <laughs> uh, out of the four of us, definitely. <laughs> uh, w- how would you rank these guys?
2: So, so I'm going to go back. What was the original? Was it fit for the for this for this ranking of the four? Is it fit for the Pacers or like if I'm the GM of the Pacers and I have the overall pick? If you're the GM of the Pacers, how would you rank these guys? Okay, so in terms of yeah. Just ranking them as players and what I think they'll do, um, I'm I'm gonna go with Jabari at one, and then I'm gonna split the difference and go Ivy two, Paolo three, Chet at four. And again, I think the thing with Chet, it's not it's not that I don't think he's going to be a good player, um, but I think for a lot of there's just a so much digging that you have to do to get chet to a certain place whereas i think ivy is already at that nba level in terms of his athleticism jabari already has that nba length not that chet doesn't but he has the weight to make it worthwhile and then Paolo's obviously showing a lot of nba flash already too so chet you just that's that's a lot of time in the weight room that's a lot of diet work uh and of investing in that player to get him to his fullest potential
1: yeah, no, I, I I like it. Lincoln, what do you
3: got? So I have Ivy one with a bullet. I think he would be perfect. I would, I've made the claim I would move back to Indiana if we drafted him. That was obviously a joke, but <laughs> I would get very excited. I would buy a jersey day one. But uh, I have Jabari two. I think he's very good, but there's a little bit of me that's like, what if he's just Harrison Barnes? And <laughs> yeah. Like that's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. Harrison Barnes is a pretty it's good guy. It's 2016 finals,
2: but... Harrison Barnes. It is the end of the world.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh he, you know, he I think he has a higher ceiling than that, obviously. And I, I you could argue his floor is probably higher than that too. But I am a little nervous at these like six ten skinny guys still. And I know that's like maybe an outdated notion with today's NBA, but I still get nervous about that. But I'm actually I'm a little surprised that I'm the only one that has this opinion, but I have Chet at three. And I mean, I feel like so many people have said so much about Chet. I don't know if there's much more I need to say. I think the best use for him is actually in kind of the Mobley this year role where you're playing him at four and you can use his secondary shot blocking. And so really miles is about as perfect as you can get in terms of like a pairing for him to start his career. But past that, I am completely out on Paolo. Like, if (laughs) if we draft him, like, at all, I would be pretty upset. It was Unless it's, like, the 10th pick. Like, I'm very out on him. I see Kyle Kuzma as, like, his – that's what I see when I watch him. And I can't get it out of my head. He's 6'9", and he's, like, slower than you want him to be. And he shoots 30% from three. And I'm just, like, I – I just I don't see him. He's a tweener like he, I don't know if he would be an NBA 3 or 4 to start at least. And I I'm very out on him. If I if the Pacers get him, like I'm going to, you know, of course of course
1: reverse course and say that I love him.
3: But uh I am very out on Paolo.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, no. I uh, I'm honestly it depends on the week, but you could talk me into any of these four players and I could talk myself into their fit. Um I think Paolo the one thing I do like about him is just how his size already, 250 pounds, six foot nine. Like, I feel like he could be that. I just don't know how he would fit in with Tyrese. I think that's interesting as well. But at the same time, this is a weird Duke team to me a little bit. Uh, and, I, you know, it's Coach K's last year. I, they're playing for him. You can definitely feel that a little bit. Um, you know, wanted to make this big run for him, potentially a championship run. I don't know if they're going to get there, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I think for me, probably right now, I'd have Jabari one, uh, Jaden Ivy two, Apollo three, and then Chet four. But at the same time, like I said, I could switch these up depending on the day of the week, just because, you know, one of them has a great game. You watch what they do and you're like, wow, I could really see them doing that for the Pacers. And then some games you're like, oh God, like, you know, but that's that's the experience of watching a young player learn basketball and even in the college level because there's guys like Drew Timmy who are on Gonzaga the number one seed that nobody even projects him to be probably in the top like 40 picks maybe not even in the second round this year yet he could put up like 14 straight points in a second half against Memphis and get Gonzaga right back into it why well Chet Holmgren the number one pick sitting there watching them do everything so it's uh it's just part of watching young players grow but let's Continue this draft conversation and move into the best overall draft for the Pacers if they have picks a pick between five and eight it's kind of hard to determine where they're going to fall but right now they currently have the sixth worst, worst sixth worst record excuse me uh, with the Kings losing to the Suns and the Pacers beating that crappy Portland Trailblazers team uh, that I think the G League Maddants could have beaten so uh, let's just talk about let's just talk about this area and there's a lot of different names out here to throw out but. Um, I'll I'll start this one off first, just to throw out the guy that I'm most intrigued by. And I've gone back and forth. I like Keegan Murray. I like A.J. Griffin. I'm really intrigued by Shaden Sharp. I'm not sold on Johnny Davis for this Pacers team, but one guy that continues to rise up my board is Benedict Matherin from Arizona. This dude, last night, the incredible dunk that he had, the three-point shot to tie the game. I see shades of Paul George in his game quite a bit. I think he would be a fantastic Fit next to this Pacers team. He's a six foot seven, six foot six, six foot seven, somewhere between their wing player. And I just feel like he can put the ball, you know, in the basket whenever he wants to. I have Arizona winning it all. So I'm rooting for him personally. But I also just feel like this is a guy that could really change things up. So uh, I'll, I'll go to uh, Carson first on this one. Who do you got?
2: So I have Keegan Murray and I have him there because I kind of view from what I've seen of Keegan Murray, I kind of view him as being like power forward. Clay Thompson is funny. Cause you kind of, you had, you said, you mentioned that you had someone draw that comparison to Jabari, yeah. but um, it's like the three point shooting. He's just like between the three point shooting uh, the physical um, aspects to play really good defense guard, multiple positions at the NBA level and, um, Now, my only concern with Keegan Murray is I don't know if I can see him being that A-list player that we want to um, be the Batman to Tyrese's Robin. But I mean, if you're at the five to eight spot, you're not you're never guaranteed that anyway. So you can't really I feel like you can't really be thinking about that. But if I'm at drafting in that five to eight range, I think Keegan Murray is who I end up going with.
1: Yeah, I, I like Keegan Murray a lot. If you would have asked me this after the Big Ten tournament, I probably would have said Keegan Murray. But watching him defend against Richmond, some of those gambles he made, I just like, man, that's just terrible position. Not wanting to get the ball towards the end of the game as well. I was a little bit concerned about that. But I still think he's going to be a really good player wherever he goes. I just don't see him as an A-level player uh, on whatever team. But, hey, you never know. I mean, obviously, we're just looking at a young guy. But, I mean, he did – I think we averaged close to thirty points a game, if not thirty, for the, during the Big Ten season. So, I mean, this kid can put up some numbers against some good defenses. But uh, Lincoln, who do you have in this range? Well, your mic is muted. Just so you know,
3: my Bluetooth just tripped out of my computer. So sorry. Oh, <laughs> I literally right. couldn't move my mouse. Uh, so I similarly have Keegan Murray right now. I think that. He's, you know, he kind of checks all the NBA boxes. He was high-level three-point shooter, 6'9". He doesn't need to work on the body near as much as a lot of these other guys. But part of that is he'll be 22, like, when the season starts. So, you know, I think what we're seeing right now, it's not unrealistic to think that, like, this is, like, 80% of Keegan Murray's best. Whereas I think Jaden Ivey could, you know – He's he'll be he'd not even be 21 when the season started, which obviously that's you know that's higher in the draft. But I think Shaden Sharp scares me because I know so little, but really smart people say he's good. So, like, you know, yeah. they can't all be wrong. But I, I do think that if we got into this range, Keegan Murray would definitely be the guy I want. Uh, AJ Griffin just doesn't really excite me. I know a lot of people are in on him. Jalen Duran doesn't, he's not a great fit with. Pacers, really, he was, I think he'll be a really, really good defender when he gets to the NBA, But and he showed that with Chet. Or Yeah, he's on Memphis. So, yeah, he played a really good D on Chet that whole game, but I, uh, I really don't love his fit on the team. Maybe, you know, if we get him with a secondary pick or something like that, I'd be down. But if he's our best guy we walk away with, I wouldn't be excited. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Keegan
1: Murray's my pick as well. Yeah, another center. I think Pacer fans would lose their minds if the Pacers took a center <laughs> at this point, uh, unless they traded Miles Turner, you know, and got something yeah. back like great right in this draft. But yeah, that's, I, I agree with you in terms of just drafting another center. Like Jalen Duran was awesome, like in the last two games that I watched him play in the tournament. But at the same time, like, you know, it's just like you got to find a better position than center to build it around. But David, uh, wrap this up for us. He got.
4: Sure. Yeah, I can talk myself into being excited about drafting. AJ Griffin or Keegan Murray, either one. Um, but I reacted real strongly when you said Benedict yeah. Catherine. That's my pick. That guy, <laughs> uh, man, watching the Arizona game, and that's kind of what I want to see. Like the way he played in that game, which I haven't seen a ton of his work, but I know that he is. Uh, he's like the top recruit or prospect, I guess, from Arizona, who is what? Are they the number two overall seed this in the, in the tournament? Yeah, I got that guy's number one, but yeah. So. Clearly, very talented. Um, he his three point shooting is a little bit lower than uh, Murray or um, AJ Griffin, but not like a problem. And he just had that like X factor of like I'm going to take over this game now, which is what I like about Jaden Ivey so much. And if we can't get him, then and, and, you're, and you're looking for that same, just like I'm going to will. <laughs> the ball in the basket, and we're going to win some games here. Uh, I think that that would be a really fun fit next to Halliburton.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's interesting. And obviously there's a lot of fun games during this tournament so far. I would say probably the most crazy game was the Baylor versus UNC game. UNC is up like, I think it was like, what was it, 20-some points, almost 30 points. 25 points. And their big guy who was just dominating – throws an elbow and it was obviously pretty intentional he gets ejected with 10 minutes left it's you know it's it's debatable whether you think it was or not but 10 minutes left and Baylor just goes on this huge run and I actually picked UNC in my bracket for an upset here not bragging nice. I'm just saying I did pick it so I was rooting for them to win just I'm like you know I don't I don't know why I had Iowa in my final four so I'm like why do I even care at this point but <laughs> it's just like you know I picked it so I want it to happen I'm like let's go And the whole entire time I'm watching this, Sohan is driving me absolutely nuts with what he was doing on the court and getting away with. And as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, man, this dude is really getting on my last nerves. And I don't even like UNC that much. Like, I'm not a UNC fan, but I want them to win. Then I started thinking, man, I would love someone like that on the Pacers. I would love to have somebody that, I mean, because defensively, he looked really good in that game. And I think he was just all over the place. He spearheaded that comeback, there's no doubt about it. It was his emotion, his energy, and somewhat of his antics kind of getting in there. The guy dyes his hair a different color all the time. I'm not saying he's Dennis Rodman, but, uh, you know, I, I do like a little bit of crazy, and I think the Pacers could benefit from having someone like that that's not afraid to get a little bit chippy. I mean, uh, thinking of uh, teams that could use somebody like that, I think the the uh, excuse me, the Timberwolves were a team that could use some edge. And by bringing on Patrick Beverly – Look at them this year. I mean, they have embraced that. You got Anthony Edwards who talks crap to every single person that walks by him. Carl Anthony Towns finally looks like he's got something to say to people. So I'm like, Sohan is going to be a guy that people are going to hate to play against. I want him on my team because I really don't want to root against him. So I don't know if there's anybody else that's, like, stood out for you guys in the tournament that could be potentially, like, not necessarily, like, five through eight, but, like, somebody you think the Pacers could have interest in maybe – with that Cavs pick and that Rockets pick in the second round, maybe to trade up, uh, trade those picks to move up. Anybody else at Sudatsu, I'll go to you first this time, Lincoln.
3: Yeah, I was going to say uh, Sohan, which I, I've been saying Sochan, I think. But uh, Sohan, Yeah, I did uh, it the
1: first time too, don't worry. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I saw him – I think I saw the name for the first time when the ringer put out their big board before the tournament started. And so then seeing him in that game, I was like, wow, that dude – and i think the ringer actually has him at 9 which is like much higher than most big boards do which is pretty funny but yeah uh, that's
1: that's kevin o'connor for you so
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh i uh, i could see i could see like you know we we probably would get the 18th pick with the cavs maybe we could package that in 31 for like somewhere in the 14 range mm-hmm. so i mean if sohan could even be our second guy that we get this draft that would be unbelievable to me cuz i mm-hmm. mean Depending on who we get, you probably wouldn't want to draft two big forwards, but I do think that would be pretty great. Something weird I noticed about this draft when I was looking at some of this stuff, there's not a lot of high level passers really. Like, you kind of have to go to like the 20th ranked guy before you get someone above five assists a game, which is just pretty like bizarre for a draft, Mm -hmm. which I mean, kind of works for the Pacers since we just got such a good initiator. But like, I think a lot of teams are going to draft one of these guys and kind of be like, Oh, he's a bit of a black hole so far.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a very good point. Uh, I don't know who that player is. I mean, Kennedy Chandler is one of the most, you know, talked about point guards in this draft, uh, Ty Ty Washington as well, but I'm not sure what their assist numbers look like. So, uh, do you, do you know who it is or.
3: Yeah. Well, I think Tai Ty's at like 4.8, I think, but okay. like, I know in uh this is tank-a-thon. I'm, I'm cheating. I have this pulled up, but, uh, Dyson Daniels is the first guy on their board that has over five assists a game, which, I mean, that's a very arbitrary number to look at, especially with the way the college games played. But I just thought that was
2: interesting.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Carson, anybody else stand out to you in this tournament so far?
2: So if you're talking – I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach and go a little later than someone like Sohan. And you mentioned it earlier, but Drew Timmy, just like this man – (laughs) 610. <laughs> Lincoln's 235. Losing it. what?
1: Lincoln's losing it over here. Dude, he He's is not 6, an 10, NBA player. Two,
2: 235. <laughs> Listen. I that's what I I've thought that about many guys before. including like especially these white dudes who hang around <laughs> uh playing college basketball longer than what you would like. Um like your Grayson Allen's and especially if it's guys who play at places like Gonzaga uh, or Villanova, I've noticed that a lot of times these guys bring – they're not going to be quality players. I'm, I'm talking like second round, like a guy that you take in the second round because you feel like he can come off the bench, give you 10, 15 minutes of whether it's his attitude, his energy, whatever to the court, that I feel like if you already have a later pick, like a mid-second round pick, I'm like, what, what do you have to lose at that point? So best case scenario, you get a guy who can play 15, 20 minutes, can bring the attitude, bring physicality, and bring energy, like like someone like Grayson Allen. I'll, I know he's a guard, and Drew Timmy is a lot bigger than that, but um, I think that's someone who can contribute, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes a night.
1: Yeah, you're giving me Luca Garza vibes here for the Pistons. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Pacers have the 58th pick, I believe, because they have the Sun second round pick. So if they get there, uh, I won't laugh at you too much. I mean, uh, it's just funny because another white center, I mean, people were joking the Pacers would take him at the 13th overall pick, oh, like I they know. did Tyler Hansborough with 2009 cool. last year. So uh, let's just hope that nobody from the Pacers brass is listening to this podcast right now. Hey, as long uh, as it's
2: not first round, I'm okay with it.
1: <laughs> David, anybody else for you as we uh, close out this part of the pod?
4: Yeah, I only have. One other one other option. So, yeah. if we don't package that Cavs pick to trade up to get Ivy or to trade up to get somebody else like Sohan, I'd be happy to have him, um, as as long as we weren't getting him in that top ten range, obviously. But if we kept that Cavs pick at eighteen or you know right around there, I'd be okay. Even though some some boards have him a good bit lower than this, I'd be okay taking your boy Nikola Jovic, who although I did not yeah. see him in the in the games this weekend i'm intrigued yeah. by him and uh just having you know the odds of him being good just based off of his last name alone are probably pretty high right so <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but he's you know he's a position of need he's you know he's that forward 610 and uh he's somewhat of an unknown but is kind of in that 18 range is where you want to take a gamble on a guy that maybe doesn't do anything but like has the potential to be somebody um, that's kind of the area where you take that risk, I think.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, obviously, as, as we continue this podcast, before we get to the draft, we're going to have a lot more to discuss in terms of players that could be available in that range. And we'll get a little bit more of a clearer picture of what GMs are thinking um, as these big boards continue to get updated, because that's when you start hearing the rumblings of what teams like and who teams are interested in. But uh, all right, let's move away from the draft talk now. I think you guys covered that pretty well. Um, this is an interesting one that I found very, like I could make cases for a couple of different teams here, but, uh, we'll start with you first this time, Lincoln, what team should the Pacers model their rebuild after?
3: So it's, it's kind of funny when you, when you talk about this, it's like, well, they should just do what this team did. And most of what those teams do is just get very lucky with a lot of things. So like,
1: yeah,
3: a team that I was looking at was, The Grizzlies. And obviously, like, that's, you know, it's easy to say. They went from, like, barely a playoff team last year to, like, the second best team in the NBA this year. So, obviously, if we could imitate that, that'd be great. But really what I'm thinking of is you have this lead guard and then everything goes around there. You get complimentary pieces and guys that just play in their role and then just see what you can do. Because, like, it's not like the Grizzlies are – max out now like they are going to be a problem for the next five to eight years if they don't acquire any more talent they just have all these young guys that fit together and so I think that's something we really need to focus on going forward and later segments we'll get into this but I do think that we have some really good pieces on the roster already that fit and then just prioritizing that like every draft pick from here on out is like this is to fit around Halliburton and and, you know if we get Ivy to fit around Halliburton and Ivy and I feel like the Grizzlies did such a good job with that when they have drafted the last few years.
1: Yeah, no, they've had some great, you know, hits in the draft, and some of them have come later in the draft too. You know, Desmond Bain was a guy I think he was drafted like 30th overall, something like that. So um, it's just it's crazy. And they also got Brandon Clark late in the draft. I mean, they've had some some nice pickups. Boy. Yeah, they've had some nice pickups there. Uh, David, any teams that you think the Pacers should try to model the rebuild after?
4: I always go in Memphis as well. I think yeah. that the biggest thing, like you, any team we mentioned, they got lucky to some extent, as Lincoln said, but you still have to do what Memphis did. And it is they like drafted positionally and stylistically for what they needed to fit around certain players. Uh, and they weren't afraid to draft like talent on top of other talent. So, like, you had um, – I'm just totally blanking on the point guard they had. Um, I just lost his name. John Morant? No, no, before.
1: Conley? Oh, Mike Conley. Yeah,
4: Mike Conley. So you have Mike Conley, who's a great player, an excellent player. And they were not afraid to draft somebody at his position if he felt yeah. like he was going to change the franchise yeah. and just revolutionize that. And so that's why I feel like the Pacers should, if they think that Ivy is the guy, not be afraid to take Ivy, even though you already have Brogdon, who's point guard, shooting guard. You have Halliburton, at point guard. You have uh, Duarte, at shooting guard, small forward. So you have all kinds of guards. I mean, not even to mention McConnell and any other backups we have, or, you know, like the two-way players. Uh, but that, is, that shouldn't stop you from taking, if you think Ivy is an A-level guy, like the man. Mm-hmm. That's what Memphis did. They were like, if we think John Morant is a superstar then we're going to take him whether we have players that you know may overlap there or not and not being afraid to trade away i mean mike Conley was like not like a reggie miller to them but like maybe a danny granger to them like a beloved player that meant a lot to that team in that city and to not be afraid to make moves that could uh upset fans or could be a risky a risky situation in terms of how uh like beloved and how um, tied into the franchise they are. So that's those are kind of extra things that I think Memphis did that we can also replicate.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think Memphis is obviously one of the most common teams to, to look at in terms of trying to rebuild after because of how quick they've had success. But uh, Carson, did you have anybody different besides Memphis or, or anything?
2: I did. and I've been kind of laying the breadcrumbs for this a little bit, but I think Phoenix makes a lot of sense here. As a smaller ish market who is um, just trying to use what they have and avoid tank, like you have a base, like a foundation to work off of, and you're not really getting the job done. You're missing the playoffs, uh, still a pretty bad team, even though you have good pieces, and you're trying to avoid tanking for the next two, three years, looking for a move to turn your franchise around. Phoenix did that in the trade for Chris Paul. And I feel like we made a move to get our point guard of the future in Tyrese Halliburton. And so, and I think with Halliburton, you have that guy whose focus is on finding his teammates. He's but still has that ability to create for himself. if He needs to is that on and off court leader again, like Phoenix has in Chris Paul. And then depending on what's available in this upcoming draft, you can draft a good role man to play the pick and roll. And then just surround these guys with a combination of, and D-wings. Obviously it's a long shot for someone like Chris Duarte to be what Devin Booker is, but I think Duarte can provide a somewhat similar skill set in terms of being that perimeter threat. Um, So essentially you have your CP3 and Halliburton and then a combination of Duarte, whoever you get in the lottery, and Miles um, gives you generally what Phoenix has between Booker and Aiton in terms of the scoring, the post-presence, and the role man. And obviously, I'm not saying I expect the Pacers to be at that level in the next season or two, but given the context of each of these rebuilds, being able to make a move uh, and turn the franchise around in a pretty short span, because if you remember, they they didn't make the playoffs uh, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were uh, – I think they went undefeated in the – they played super well in the bubble, but they didn't get into the playoffs that year even – so yeah. they totally turned it around after they got Chris Paul, um, and and so I think in terms of the pace of this rebuild that they're that Indy, of course, with Simon and KP, what they're what they're looking at, I think that there's some parallels there.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I was not expecting to hear Phoenix out of your mouth, and then you said you've been laying the groundwork for it. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, I was thinking about those uh, comparisons you made for Halliburton to Chris Paul, and then I was thinking they do have Frank Kaminsky, so maybe that's why you were. Talking about Drew Timmy. So, uh, you know, I just, it just kind of like popped in my brain. I was like, okay, there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm just giving you a little hard time for Carson. But uh, no, it's an interesting one. I think obviously getting a number one overall pick and getting DeAndre Ayton was big for them as well. I thought he had a really great playoffs last year and he knows his role pretty well and doesn't seem to complain. But Mikael Bridge is like, if the Pacers can find a team that's stupid enough to trade a guy like that, like Philadelphia, then, you know, they've got to go out and find that players. I think Mikael Bridges literally changes everything for Phoenix and what they're able to do as much as Chris Paul changed the culture. Like that's what I'm going to talk about here. I think a team like Minnesota. I brought him up earlier. I think that's another team the Pacers could look at for a rebuild. Obviously, you know, getting Anthony Edwards with the number one overall pick is, you know, you're not going to find a lot of guys like that, but I think there are some similarities to that with Jay Ivy. I don't know if he's as arrogant as him but just an athletic guard like that um and then maybe just on the lower term just bring in a veteran guy that can kind of ruffle some feathers change the culture a little bit because so far this pacers team to me has needed a leader, needed a kind of a bulldog on this team. And we can talk about Lance Stevenson being that guy, but he's really not. Lance is just a meme. Let's just be honest. You know, he's, he's fun for the team The fans love him, but he's not a guy that's really going to come in there and set the tone. Like you're talking about Patrick Beverly, a guy, I don't even think he starts at this point. I think, you know, he comes off the bench, but he, they, they basically just have all endorsed him. And I know he can be a little bit of a pain and has made some questionable decisions with, uh, injuring players and you know intentionally and not and just what he did to Chris Paul last year too after the after they got eliminated so you know there are some things there that I don't love about him all the way but I do like the chippiness so there's there's a lot of different models here for how they can go about rebuilding uh, Lincoln any other thoughts on this before we move on?
3: Yeah, well, and about Beverly, I was never a Beverly guy. Like I kind of was like, oh, that's you know that's a marginal move if anything. Mm-hmm. But you hear the way that Towns and Ant talk about him. And, I mean, that was their biggest free agent move. And it's not even close. Like, that changed their team. And the way they talk about him is kind of, honestly. Like, they talk about him the same way Phoenix talks about Chris Paul. It's crazy. (laughs) but uh, Yeah, I I do think that one other team to look at is the Cavs. And Mm -hmm. in the same way that I think that they, they took this lead guard, they put the ball in his hands almost exclusively, and they basically said, like, you're going to be our offensive engine. We're going to put pieces around you but we're going to kill it on the defensive end. And that's something that I would love for the Pacers to kind of get back to. We I know that this season, it, you, you can't look at defensive numbers for this season because it's a lost season, but they're they're not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's a little scary, some of these players. You see them just kind of casually giving up 130, and it's like that's not something we could normalize if we're going to be a good team. And uh, I, I do think that that's – like the Cavs were a pretty bad defensive team for years. And then this year they're incredible, and right. I think that that's something that we really have to take a look at. If we can, if we can be a good defensive team. We have enough creativity that I think we can be a good offensive team without building for that necessarily.
1: Yeah, no, that's another that's another team I did look at trying to see how we could rebuild our our roster because I do think Miles is that defensive player. You know, kind of like a Jared Allen, probably not as dominant down low, but definitely more dominant from the outside than Jared Allen is for sure. So, yeah. Different players, but I get the I get the makeup of that. And I I think defensively this Pacers team really needs to take some major leaps before they're even a serious playoff contender on that side of the ball. But David, anything else you want to add to this conversation?
4: Yeah, I think that other than the Chris Ball trade, every other team that we've mentioned so far has at least two pieces they got from the draft, right? Yeah. So you've got Allen and well, they didn't draft him, but um, you have uh, Garland and who's the other Sexton Mobley, Mobley, well, Mobley. But they have yeah. two guards, though, right? <laughs> yeah. One, yeah, Which one's hurt? Yeah.
2: Colin
1: Sexton,
4: Sexton and Garland. Yes, yeah. so you have two guards. You know, those two guys, and even if they trade one of them, that's an asset they have drafted to use to trade. And then Allen in Mobley, which they didn't draft. Allen, as I already said, but and then you have with Memphis, they drafted several people. So you know that is in Minnesota, right? So you, they've drafted yeah. all three of their best players. So it's like that is that is what we are gonna probably have to do. And also, those are all mostly small market teams like we are. All teams that are not gonna attract a LeBron James, a uh, Kevin Durant, a you know a, a top five, top ten, superstar type player unless we mm-hmm. draft them. So that's yeah. the that's the common um, common factor there.
1: Yeah, the the Minnesota one was a little bit difficult because obviously, Towns was the number one overall pick, and so it was was. Uh... And so it's like getting those two guys. And then they made that big trade, trading Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. And I feel like, you know, D'Lo, as much as I didn't love him in Brooklyn and thought he was a little bit overrated and clearly did not like him in Golden State, he's really stepped up this year and been efficient. But I think a lot of that was getting Chris Finch in there as their coach. I just feel like uh, I don't like how they handled it last year, but I did not feel like Ryan Saunders was a good coach whatsoever. Uh, I mean, he might have only been better than Luke Walton, so that's not saying much. But uh, Carson, any final thoughts on this before we move on?
2: So I'm going to speak something into existence here. Okay. And the common denominator between every team that's been mentioned is a top three overall pick. You just said it with the Timberwolves. They had two number one picks. Phoenix had a number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton. Um even the Cavs, what was Mobley? Was he, he was, three? He was third, yeah. Three, and then Memphis had uh, jaw at number two. So I I feel like the key here is just uh, Pacers are going to end up uh, picking top three. So yeah. that's all I have to add.
1: They got to get lucky. They, they got to get lucky. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to our next topic. What current veterans do you believe fit in the best for this team? Moving forward, I'll go to our long term pacer guy here, David, to start us off here, since you're probably more familiar with these veterans uh, watching them every single game.
4: I think there's only one real answer. I think that a valid answer is none of them. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I can see a a scenario where if it took training Miles Turner to get where you want to get in the draft, then you do it. But if you want to give, you know, to name names of real players, then I think Miles Turner is the one that you can see his contract is pretty good, even though it's running out soon. We're going to have to re-sign him, but if he would not uh, ask too much, we're going to be in a good position cap-wise for the next few years, depending on what happens with Warren and Buddy and Brogdon. So those are uh, are like the four top talent-wise veteran guys, and I'm including Warren still just speaking into, you know, by faith that he'll actually still have some talent left after all the injuries. But I think Miles Turner is the number one guy. I can see them keeping Buddy, just if we don't draft someone that's a really great shooter. But I think they would have to see that need, and and that's probably like if we get a Jaden Ivy, then we're addressing the shooting a little bit, uh, you know. And we do have other shooters, but I mean Buddy is the best shooter on the team right now, which is, you know, he's he's a very good shooter, but he's also a liability on the defensive end. So mm-hmm. they're in his contract is probably too high. So there's problems there too. Then with Warren, he'd be the second or third that I would go off of with buddy as the, you know, the other one in that, in that pairing. But the problem obviously with Warren is the, the health and, oh, what, yeah. and what, what, what kind of a deal would he take? And cause you don't want to give him a long-term deal. You don't want to pay him a whole lot of money, honestly at all. Uh, so if he's willing to stay, we've heard rumors that he wants to be here. If he's willing to stay for, Uh, under value or right at value with like a one plus one team option kind of contract like we've like you know we've talked about on on another podcast and that kind of thing that's fine Um, I don't think that he is someone we need to be worried about in terms of drafting that and really even miles if you think that like uh, a power forward or a center is the guy you need to draft, and Miles doesn't work with him, you, then you train Miles. Like, that's fine. I think that I, I, I love Miles and I like him as a, as a pacer. Um, I, but, but I can root for, for him on a different team if I need to. Yeah. That's fine. So, <laughs> the, real, <laughs> the real answer is like, whatever it takes to get the top talents that you want in the draft. But if you're going to keep somebody, I think Miles is the number one that would fit well based off of his, like, the modern way that he plays defense. Being a rim protector while also being pretty agile, he's not the fastest center in the in the league, but he's not as slow as uh, like someone like Embiid, right? Uh, yeah. And he's not as great of a shooter as we want him to be sometimes, but he's a much better shooter than many centers in the league are. So mm-hmm. with that ability, uh, I think that he can st- he can stay.
2: <laughs> All right, Carson. So
4: um, I.
2: Don't mention Miles in mind just because I know, I know he's actually the uh, Pacers' longest term vet of uh, being on the roster, but he's only 25, so I didn't make mention of him in mind. So I just want to note that exclusion. But I do have TJ Warren on mine because I think with Warren coming off of his injury, he's in a unique spot where he can provide uh, quality scoring and kind of defensive depth and versatility, at least. Um, to this roster without breaking the bank and I think it's kind of been known and I think there's been some media reports that like David you mentioned uh, about him being interested in staying in Indy him not expecting what he maybe would have made coming straight out of the bubble or if he'd been playing healthy for the past little bit so I think he's in a unique spot there for us to be able to keep him and um, him have a good spot on this team. And then, again, you're going to make – I might get laughed at for this, but at least let me finish my sentence before I finish it. Alex said he was the meme. I know he's the meme. But I think Lance, having him as a guy on your roster – I'm not talking in the main rotation. I'm not even talking about a guy who necessarily plays in the game. But I think having a guy who brings that attitude and the mentality, (laughs) um, I think that can affect a younger core in a positive way. And I wouldn't mind seeing Indy keeping him around kind of like Miami's done with like a Udonis Haslam, like have him around, have him in the room just to give the edge. I mean, Lance isn't going to make a bunch of money. He's not, it's not like he's going to be eating up uh, what, whatever's in the salary, but when you go to a Pacers game uh, there, you can't deny the fact that he has an effect on those around him, whether it's fans or the players, he does things um, that is contagious again, to the fans, to the players. And so I think for a minimum contract as a 15 spot roster guy, I think what he would add, like, I don't, I think that there's some value to be had there.
1: Yeah. I'm, I know Lincoln's laughing pretty hard about this. Uh, You know, I would probably say that I'm more on your side than Lincoln's side on this. And for the reasons you brought up only because it's just funny because it's just like the fans are just so connected to him and it's kind of weird how they are so connected to him Considering he was probably the fifth best starter on the team that took the Heat to the finals, that, or that's the why
2: Auburn that's finals. why Lincoln's that's why Lincoln's making fun of me is because he still has PTSD from the from the blowing in LeBron's yeah. ear, yeah, from when, mean,
4: from when the Heat beat us, yeah, yeah.
2: But we still yeah. lost. Lincoln was sweating. Lincoln was sweating in that game seven. <laughs> you know it. Well, I think it was a
1: game five actually, because the Pacers actually got destroyed in that in that series before Paul George went off in that game. Or maybe it was game, yeah, it was game five when PG went off for that huge run. But you got something. Carson?
2: Yeah, I do want to um talk about some exclusions that I had. Obviously, one of them with, was Buddy. And as impressed as I have been with his play this season, and because I when he was in that trade I was like, Oh, that's an interesting piece. Maybe teams will want it. maybe we'll flip him in the next 48 hours. Um, and but I was impressed. Pressed with his play so far, and I'm not sure of his fit moving forward in regards to his role. Um, His skills, I think, I mean, a guy who can shoot threes is going to be valuable on an NBA team. Um, But in terms of his role on the team, I feel like him continuing to be getting those minutes in the shots that he might deserve on a team of this record um, means it's going to come from someone else like Duarte or whoever you draft. So I personally feel like his talents and value would be best utilized by trading him. Um, And I actually do feel somewhat similar to Malcolm. I think he could fit if we don't draft Ivy. Um, Personally, I'm to the point with Brogdon where, again, I think he's a good guy to have around. But I personally would prefer us to move on just because I see Halliburton as the better point guard. Um, I'm not sure about Brogdon at the two. And I think he even has said he prefers to run the point. Um, Maybe I'm misconstruing that. But if I remember correctly, he prefers to be at the one. And so just – all those things together, um, I think his skills fit on just about any NBA team, but I think his value to the Pacers would be best utilized by either trading for another asset this offseason, moving up in the draft, whatever you got to do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think I echo a lot of those sentiments there. I'll move over to you, Lincoln, to get your thoughts on who the Pacers, uh, or who the veteran that probably fits the best with this Pacers team moving forward.
3: Yeah, so I uh, I made this claim to Carson and David when the trade went down that I was going to fall in love with Heald shooting and overvalue him because of it. And yeah, I predicted correctly. I uh, <laughs> I know he's not, he's he has a ton of flaws in his game. He's like 45 already. And uh, there's like, you know, I, I think there's just some pretty obvious reasons he's not a core piece going forward. But the guy that can just take like, nine threes a game and hit them at a good percentage is just incredibly valuable. And it's not yeah. something the patients have had like ever really. Cause it's a pretty new archetype for the NBA is a guy that like, doesn't really do anything else, but he spaces the floor. And I do think that like, even some of the teams we've had in the past couple of years would have worked better with like a healed on the floor. Like I think he could have made the miles and Sabonis be able to score a lot more, which would have been like, you know, interesting to see but because he really like if you look at his volume and efficiency he's in like a pretty elite club he's not just like a shooter he's like actually elite and I do think that if a stronger voice was in the locker room or Halliburton even feeling more empowered to do so could kind of get him in a role that would fit a little bit better I think he could be super valuable for us in the next two years as we navigate this kind of rebuild uh Malcolm so (sighs) I love Malcolm as, like, a guy more than a player, I think, because I've, like, I've been to, like, I think I've been to, like, 30 Pacer games in the past couple seasons, and I moved to Dallas, or last, like, right when the pandemic kicked off, so I basically went to 30 games in those two seasons, and so, like, I really watched a lot of Pacers, and Malcolm was a guy that, like, I was so excited when the Pacers got him, because he's, like, I was like, oh, he's the perfect I, I thought about him how I feel about Halliburton now where I'm like, he's a lead guard. He's efficient. He's a good passer. But I kind of feel that Halliburton is better about all of those things. So I don't necessarily view him as a piece. I want on the Pacers past the next two years. And I'm, I'm not saying we need a rush to trade him, but I think there's a good chance that we could get really good value at some point next season before the deadline, probably. And I think that's maybe when we should explore it. And if, if it's, you know, if some combination of assets involving him gets us Jaden Ivey. I like, I'm going to break the button that says, yes, I'm smashing that so hard.
1: Yeah. But, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause go ahead.
3: Or I was just going to, and miles, miles is like, I just love miles. Uh, he's the only uh Pacers player I currently have a Jersey of. I think he's a fascinating guy. He came so raw to the Pacers and genuinely put in the work and transformed his body and he's one of the best defenders in the NBA now and like top five protector and I think that that if used correctly could give us such a high defensive floor and speaking of those teams that are uh rebuilding and the model we should go off of a lot of them have those centers that just when they're on the floor your defense is good regardless of who else is with Mm them. I think Miles is a guy that could give us that
1: yeah, no, and I and I agree with that too. You know, I've I've said for a while now that I think Miles makes a lot more sense to keep long term with this group because who else are you gonna get out there that can do what he does? Obviously, you know, I was more so a bonus than Turner, but at the same time, if you trade one, you gotta give the another, you gotta give the guy a keep a chance to just be that solo guy. The only thing I would say that I'm a little bit concerned with Miles is that he has continuously had foot injuries. Um, I, I did the, the numbers on it. If he misses the rest of the season, which I think is more than likely going to happen, he will have missed 42% of the games played over the last two seasons. So that has to be a bit concerning. And not to mention that he's been in trade rumors probably for the last three years with the Pacers looking to move off of him. So knowing that he's up for an extension, are, are the Pacers really invested in him long term? I think we're going to find out that answer this offseason, if he's extended or not. But I do think that he, added all the veterans, makes the most sense. You know, you made a great case for Buddy Hill, probably being number two. Uh, I don't know if he was number one on yours. But, I mean, Buddy Hill is a guy that has fit Rick Carlisle's system so well. Um, even when he's had some poor shooting nights, he still has done some things well. Obviously, defensively, he's not there. I don't think he ever will be. But, you know, like you said, he's an offensive microwave. And um, I would prefer him off the bench as a, as a guy like that. But I've also heard that he prefers – starting it just like mentally does something for him so how does he accept that role I mean I think there's a lot of questions here moving forward um and really it all depends on who they draft so let's uh move on to the young players on this roster Now you can't keep everybody here on the the young roster but um I'll start with you here first Carson um what young player do you think fits the best next to a Halliburton type of player I should put that uh Obviously, as we're talking about him being the franchise player, <laughs> would not expect us to all pick in here. So, like uh what what young player or players do you like that fit in with this team? Yeah,
2: what's it, there's so many of them, and I feel like I'm not gonna lie, I have like five guys written down, and so like I'm just like, oh, all of them. But like obviously Chris Duarte, even though he's a little older, he just he shows some flashes that he can that he can just be a very successful player in this league for for a long time so yeah him obviously i think isaiah jackson is kind of like this wild card that the pacers are keeping in their back pocket to be like miles whatever happens with miles i think if isaiah jackson continues to improve i think he could step in and all is he going to be a top three top five run protector in the league immediately if he has to step in for miles no But I can see Isaiah Jackson coming in and being a good player, especially, I think, him and Halliburton. They have some chemistry things to work through, but I'd say overall they have good chemistry together. But in terms of the two guys who I've noticed in the Pacers games that I've been to and seen that I feel like play extremely well with Halliburton specifically, Is O'Shea and Jalen Smith. Obviously, Jalen Smith, you have the issue of the contract. I know we talked about this a little bit, Alex, in person a couple weeks ago, but like maybe you can convince him to do like a one year deal where you have to underpay him and then you basically just give him what he would have missed out on in the next season. You can play those hypotheticals, but in terms of just like the chemistry and how they play together, I really like the way Jalen Smith. Um, and O'Shea Brissett play with Tyrese Halliburton. Just the three, the in and out game, um, the way that Halliburton can penetrate and then dish out um, for those scoring options for those guys. is It's fun to watch. And so I think there's some good fit there. Yeah, David?
4: I think that's a good group. I have most of the same guys. I don't have, I didn't have Jalen Smith just because of the fact that I was kind of just like, He's probably gone. Like, yeah, yeah. We, if, we, if we really wanted him, really, really wanted him, we should have just benched him. Uh, so, <laughs> which then maybe he would have been mad at us and not stayed anyways. So, like, it's probably going to lose lose. Right. Um, the caveat with all of this, with the, even the young players, the same as it was with the old players, if trading one of these gets you the guy of the future, I don't care. If it's Duarte, if it's Jackson, if it's O'Shea, whatever, you do it. Uh that's that's the caveat. But I will say Duarte as a shooter, as a defender, uh, he's the kind of guy that I really like and I want him with Halliburton. I also think uh Isaiah Jackson and O'Shea Brissett, I think those are the other two that I, I think I want. Pretty much anybody else, I'm like take him or leave him. Uh, I have enjoyed Jalen Smith. I think he fits well, but at the same time, if we do go for a power forward, then he will most likely be worse than them. And I think that uh, there's no reason for him to resign with us if we draft people above him. So then we, like, even if we say, oh, well, you'll be our number two power forward or our number three power forward, like he knows the hierarchy from being on the team already. And then if you throw in a, a young player that could jump him one spot, it's just one more reason for him to no, not want to stay to go make more money and get more playing time and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so for me, like, O'Shea, I feel like, has already been in the bench role his entire career. So, this is kind of more, that's kind of a more natural spot for him to just stay there as an energy guy off the bench, which he's incredible at. If we can get him to be more consistent and get Jackson to continue to develop, I think those are the two big guys that you keep. Um, and you trade Gogo Batazi as soon as possible. For him, as much as for us, to be t- t- totally honest, the poor guy has been totally jipped by us up until like, the last month.
1: The last two games didn't convince you to want to keep Goga for another year?
4: I think he's talented, and I think he'll find a home somewhere and be yeah. productive somewhere off the bench, but not with what we're doing with Halliburton. I don't think it's going to work.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, with him hitting a three-point shot, he has looked a lot better Yeah, over the last two games, but I will say this. Uh, anytime you play the Houston Rockets, you should be able to dominate offensively because Christian Wood might be the most awful defensive center i have seen in the league in a long time uh, he puts up big numbers but he gives up every single thing that he puts up so uh i am not a christian wood believer and i think he's a overpaid uh a big guy that's not really that good but lincoln let's go to you young players on this pacers team who do you like
3: so duarte
1: is one that i you
3: know i i think that i i mentioned earlier brandon clark was like my guy and coming into the draft, it was like, man, he was incredible in college, but he's like 23. So he slipped all the way to like 18. And then, of course, he came into the NBA and was immediately good. And sometimes I feel like we get that way with draft, play, draft picks where we're like, well, man, I'd, and I, I even did it tonight about, I think I said Keegan Murray is too old at 22. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, that's, that's an attitude that we're into. So I was a little down on the Duarte pick. And then we got him. And of course, he was good immediately. He was... An NBA player the second he stepped on the court, which is not true of a lot of guards. And I think that he has shown strides even throughout the season. Maybe shooting numbers wouldn't bear that out. But I do think he's getting a lot more comfortable and acclimated. And, I mean, he's had a rough go of things with the state of this team this year. Like, I know it's hard to count the first season against any of these guys when they're in a bad team. Like, Jalen Green, like, has he looked great this year? No. But that situation is probably the worst in the NBA. And so I feel like Duarte has had similar things where he's not been unbelievable this year, but he's been good in a bad situation. So I would love to see what he would do if we kind of fix the rotation, got a little bit healthier and kind of, you know, got a little bit more talent. Uh, O'Shea is a guy that every time I watch the Pacers, I'm like, I love that dude. I want him to be a Pacer for the next decade. He's so cool. And then I look at the numbers and I'm like, man, (laughs) he really tricked you a little bit. (laughs) And, you know, I I think that the the way to evaluate is eye test and stats. And so if the eye test is, like, so positive, you have to believe that eventually, like, with his athleticism, he can come around. And I do think that he's similar to Duarte. It's hard to evaluate any of these guys when they're in this situation. You know, that's the thing with Kings players for years. It's like, if you get them out of Sacramento, you might have (laughs) something. And I do think that this year we've been a pretty rough you know, place to develop young talent, but, and then I he's another guy that I would love for him to develop into a really good rotation player. But I mean, even on the last episode that I listened to you guys are talking about his fouls for 36 minutes are like 12, like <laughs> you only get six of them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah exactly. I,
3: I do think that he has a long way to go before he could be anything close to a starting caliber big in this league or even playing like big rotation minutes. So I think we do have a good young core that just, they all will take time. And so I do think that we've all kind of operated under the assumption that next year, the Pacers are going to be going to try to be good again. And I do think they will try, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. We're still a lottery team for the 23 draft. I think that's almost more likely in that. But you know, I think that's, that kind of shows that these young guys are really what we should be building towards too. Because if they're if they develop next year and we're still in the lottery, that's not a lost season at all. In the same way that this isn't a lost season if we can get a good pick this year.
1: Yeah, I agree with all that. I think honestly, um looking at this young core, I think the only guy that I can see as a long term starter is Chris Duarte for this team currently, right now. Um, Isaiah Jackson, I mean, he's only 19, 20 years old, so obviously he could maybe grow into that over the next three to four years. I, I've seen enough of O'Shea where I feel like, like you said, Lincoln, um, he shows a lot of bright spots, but then sometimes you're just like, where is he at? Uh, what are these statistics? I think he's more of a, of a role player, but he is definitely a vibe. O'Shea Verset is a vibe for sure. Uh, super cool dude, and I enjoy rooting for him. And we actually had a fan of the week on a couple of weeks ago and said that O'Shea was their favorite player, of the, uh, player on the team which is just different to hear because you're like, okay, you're thinking like, oh, Tyrese or, or Christy Warte or before we traded Sabonis, like Miles or Domas, but no, it's like O'Shea. And, um, you know, it's just, okay, hope, I'm, I'm all for it. Like let's, let's find some weird guys to cheer for um, a name that I don't really think any of you guys brought up was Terry Taylor. And this is a guy on a two way contract that has had some really big games. I think he had like, I think he had 16 rebounds against 24 and 16 against a magic one game. Um, Obviously, he cannot shoot the ball, which is his biggest concern, and he's incredibly undersized, but he does rebound the ball well. So uh, that's a name that I wouldn't be mad if they kept. I feel like he's worthy of a rotation spot um, with the current roster as it is, not saying moving forward if I'm trying to build a championship-level team. But uh, he's good enough to be on my roster with just the way he plays and hustles. But um, does anybody else have anything else they want to add in here? If you do, just raise your hand and I'll call on you. Uh, if not, we can move forward. <laughs> okay. Nobody, nobody has anything else to add. So let's move on to the last one here. Uh, I know we've been a little bit lengthy, but you know, four people talking, that's what's going to happen. So, uh, we're just trying to give you guys the content because I did not put as many episodes out the previous week, but, uh, let's start with Lincoln here. What realistic players in the league would you like the Pacers to inquire about this offseason?
3: So this is one that I kind of had a hard, So when you talk about inquiry, do you mean through free agency or dra- or trades cuz either either way works. Okay. Cuz I was trying to look at this free agent class and it it's funny when you look at this Pacers team, all these guys we named, you're basic with when you include the three picks we have this year, you're basically at 11, 12 guys that you want on the team before we hit free agency. So I, like something I always talk about with these young teams with a lot of guys that you're not really sure if they are a proper rotation pieces, some consolidation. So, I mean, I would be open to some sort of deal like that maybe next offseason. I really wouldn't be trying to package some of our depth for some of these guys this year. But a free agent that I would just be interested to see him play in our system with Tyrese and I've just kind of always been like a fan of his game is Kyle Anderson. I know that's kind of like a random name, but
1: oh, yeah. I do mo. think
3: that, yeah, like I think he could fit really well for the three for us. Obviously TJ Warren, I don't think I've said his name yet, TJ Warren, but uh, it's, you know, we haven't had a lot of reason to say his name in the last couple of years, but uh, I do think that Kyle Anderson could kind of be, something we haven't had the last couple of years with him out is just like a reliable three and D three. That's a little bit, uh, you know, he, he runs their offense a little bit because he's a little bit, you know, We we he's nicknamed slow-mo because he does have like off pace, uh, which would be really interesting to have him out there with a Halliburton. But that, that was the only name that I really came up with free agent wise mm-hmm. trades. I'm always bad at fake trades because it's really hard to like, turn off my brain of like, well, this wouldn't happen. So I'm like, like, I didn't even think about Halliburton to the Pacers because, you know, there's no way that they'd give us Halliburton. Right. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe if you guys have some better trades, maybe I could, you know, think of some, but I I couldn't really come up with any uh, trades that I would think of.
1: All right, Carson, I see you over there. You got something to say, don't you?
2: So in terms of just like players um, that I think again, that are at least worth like, Asking about because you never know. Sometimes you can ask, and again, like the Halliburton thing, like you they got the Pacers got something they didn't expect they were going to get. Sometimes the asking price is just a lot lower than what you would think it would be. Um, and I've mentioned Phoenix a million times, and you mentioned Mikhail Bridges earlier, and I think he would be totally off the table. So I didn't even bother with him. I didn't, I almost felt like he wasn't realistic. But yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> so but but I took a step back. And I think – and I really like Cameron Johnson. Yeah, um, yeah. I think he offers a similar – he's not as athletic, obviously, um, but he has the size and can play the defense. It is a phenomenal shooter. Like, if you just look at, like, his shooting splits, I mean, the dude's shooting, like, 48% from the field, 45% from three this year, 87%. So he's, like, 45, 45, and 85, like – That like dancing around those numbers like that is insane um as a three-point threat and then uh two other guys both of them are in um are in charlotte i think that the hornets are in a unique spot where i don't necessarily know if i see the point in them keeping both miles bridges and pj washington for the foreseeable future moving forward and not moving either of those. I think them as a team, I think it would make sense to maybe move. Probably P.J. Washington is the more um, likely player of the two to be traded. Um, But I think the athleticism of Miles Bridges and the shooting of both of those guys and defense as well could be exciting on this team. So one of those two guys from Charlotte, and then you probably get this a lot, talk about it a lot, but I'm not – going to close the door on the hope of having Thad Young back in the Pacers locker room.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's his contract up after this year. I'm not sure. I think he might, I think, Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, really soon. Yeah, yeah. He's with the Raptors now. I kind of forget that sometimes. Um, and that is actually a team that I thought about bringing up as well for how to rebuild a team after um, just because, with Scotty Barnes, like they didn't care who they already had on their roster. They just went out and got the best player available. And they like those super long athletic guys. And I kind of like that idea too. But uh yeah, Thad Young, I think he'd be a welcome, you know, presence back on this team as a minimum contract. I would not want to pay him too, too much though, because of his limitations overall, but he did change things here for this team. And I think defensively him, his last season was probably the last year. We were pretty solid on that end of the floor. So uh, David, do you have any um, any any players that you would like the Pacers to go after?
4: So I have some off-the-wall ones. So I was trying to think of, number one, what's something that we haven't talked to death? <laughs> and number two, what's something that's realistic? So I had Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington, that whole dynamic. Uh, but mm. That's been talked about on this podcast you know, with you and other guests uh, a ton, more so before we traded a bonus. But still, that's something that's been – um, discussed with Pacers and Hornets for a long, long time. Um, uh, for free agency, I would love to have Thad Young back. I think if you want a veteran that's beloved by the fan base, that can do all the same things that Lance Stevenson can do for you and can play basketball, then you get Thad Young.
1: Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lance Shade is not going to be appreciated
2: on this podcast. Okay? No,
1: I, I'm I, sti- I'm sticking up for Fache here on that this. That young
2: is
4: not as insane as Lance Stevenson is. He's not as insane. No, <laughs> I, I think that that obviously I'm I'm being hyperbolic for the sake of drama <laughs> towards Carson. Um, Lance is Lance is, Lance can play basketball, obviously, um, but I think that he is not a long term solution yes player and i think that that young can be uh, a player that can just be on the bench and be a culture player for a long time um so for trades off the wall stuff off the wall one that i have two that probably won't happen that i would love one would be if we can find a way to get gordon hayward here he's overpaid but i love him yeah (laughs) and he only has two years on the on the contract and we're not like who are we paying right now like miles and if he walks after next year mm-hmm. then who are we paying like nobody like, yeah. we're not going to we're not going to uh, brogdon but i'm already i'm almost assuming we're going to trade him like i don't know Yeah. if we don't trade him then, then brogdon is the only person that we're paying any real money uh so it wouldn't be like we would necessarily really need that that salary cap room that he would take up because of the fact that we we don't ever attract free agents like him who make 20 to $30 million a year. Mm-hmm. So he yes, he is overpaid. Yes, he would not be a long-term piece, but he's the kind of veteran that can come in and set the tone and be a leader. And so and we don't have that. And so I think he could do that. Uh, I, I also think Siakam is something that would be interesting. I don't think that the Raptors would want to trade him. I think maybe at the beginning of the year they might have wanted to. Um, and now maybe they don't. But you could probably make a deal where you trade either Brogdon or Buddy Healed to the Raptors, whichever one they want, as well as one or two other minor pieces in a draft pick and try to get Siakam. And that may not be enough, but yeah. uh, the one that I think might actually be possible that may not actually be good for us is <laughs> trading either Brogdon or Buddy Heald straight up for Kevin Love and just eating the cap, eating the cap difference. Now mm-hmm. I don't know if the Cavs want to do that, but if the the, the scenario where the Cavs wouldn't want to do that is if they need the cap room for next year, right? Because right. Kevin Love's deal uh, would expire at the end of next year. So if they needed to sign a free agent like after the draft this year, if they wanted to sign somebody and they needed that eight and a half million, eight uh, and a half eight eight and a half is roughly the, the difference between Love's contract and then Brogdon or Buddy Heels contract. So they can get a little extra cap room to sign somebody now versus waiting until after his contract expires at the end of next year. And again, he's a veteran. So I was looking at more veteran players that can help set a culture and a tone for this team because we have a lot of young talent. And and as we talked about already uh, several times, all these teams that have rebuilt well, they didn't go out and trade for young players. They drafted young players. And a lot of the players that I would want us to get like Mikkel Bridges, like not going to happen. Right. So the kinds of pieces that we would want to build with like bridges on the suns are just not going to be available. So then I didn't even look into those trades. So those are kind right. of just random ones that may not even be realistic. I don't know, but were intriguing to me at least.
1: Yeah. That's, that's definitely interesting. I was a little bit trying to figure out your Kevin love, you know, scenario but i think you you did bring up a good point so I'm just trying to like find veterans to help establish a culture you know but i think
4: i think if we trade if we if we draft ivy then we still need a power forward like we still don't have a power forward yeah and he can do that and also help shooting like shooting is one of our biggest problems we really only have buddy Hield, and as lincoln said he is an excellent excellent like he's an elite shooter but if we don't want to keep him long term then we don't really have any good shooters except for like halliburton and uh, Duarte are solid, but not volume as much as Buddy is. And so to have Seahawks, Siak, uh, not Siakam, Kevin Love and Miles Turner and shooting big men together, that could be interesting. I don't know. I don't know if it'll work or not, but it'd be a one-year thing anyway. So.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I am a little bit intrigued with the Raptors as well because it seems like they have a lot of players that play the similar position and they don't have a center. And yeah. I feel like Turner would actually fit in great there. I mean, he talked about it last year. Uh, it might have been actually this year. He talked about how last year under Bjorkren, he probably had his best statistical numbers defensively. And Bjorkran is a part of that Nick Nurse tree. And he is there with the Raptors right now. So I could yeah. see them being intrigued by that. Now, what you get back, um, is it Pascal Siakam? It might not be. Uh, I'm, I would be curious to see what it would cost to get OG and an OB here on the Pacers, because he's a young player that's had injuries. He's had up and downs, but they've got Scotty Barnes. They got Pascal Siakam, if They have Miles Turner, Gary Trent, Jr. Fred VanVleet. That's a pretty good starting five. Um, I mean, OG obviously could fit in that system just depending on what they want to do. But I mean, that's someone I'd be at least asking about, especially yeah. if the Pacers feel like they're not going to extend miles and there's something there. Um, other than that, though, it's really hard. I'm going to do my research in the offseason and really get some more names to throw out there. But, David took care of the Gordon Hayward scenario for me. I have a fan on Twitter of the show that absolutely hates Miles Turner, but I think they might hate the more, um, they might hate more whenever I bring up Gordon Hayward as a possibility. So it's a two-edged sword there for me whenever I talk about that. Um, And obviously, Carson threw out my guy, PJ Washington. um, He does seem like a guy that could make a lot of sense there for the Pacers, especially if uh, they do extend. Miles Bridges to a huge contract, are they going to have the money to pay P.J. Washington? Um, The Pacers probably would have that money because, you know, Halliburton's under his rookie contract, Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, all those guys, and just depending on what they can do. So, I mean, there's clearly a lot of different names you could throw out there. Um, I'm still kind of intrigued by the idea of DeAndre Ayton if the Suns decide they want to move on from him. Could you do a Miles Turner plus something in a sign-and-trade package? I mean, I think that could be really intriguing for the Pacers because while Chris Paul's been out, we've seen DeAndre Ayton. I think my friend Mark Schindler uh, posted this a little bit on Twitter talking about how he's shooting a little bit. He's shooting from three more, and his shot actually looks pretty good. And uh, I asked Mark, I was like, do you think that Ayton could actually establish a three-point shot? He's like, almost definitely. So if Ayton could establish that, because that's one of my biggest concerns is he does not shoot from there at all. And in today's NBA, you really need your center to do that. If he's able to knock him down, you know, the only concern is, do you want to pay a center a max contract? And I don't necessarily think he's in that embiid yokage range, but I do think that he's closer to them than Miles is. So, um, you know, it's definitely an upgrade for me, but that's where I'm at on everything. If I'm looking like I'm, I'm swinging for the fences here, trying to get this team ready to compete. But uh, Lincoln, obviously uh, I I can hear you there. Do you have anything else you want to add to this?
3: I I was almost brought up the eight in piece. And I do think, and maybe this is just the, the, you know, small market side of it, but I do think that I don't know. I mean, he would be our best player immediately, I would say. And it's very rare that you can get a guy like that. And it, again, this is all hypothetical. Phoenix would have to pretty seriously lowball him for him to leave, I think. But if we were to offer him even a max, depending on how this draft goes, if you've got Ayton, you've got Halliburton, and you've got whoever this, you know, we get in this draft, that's a core that you can really build around and build around really quickly because Halliburton and they're already really good NBA players. And I mean, that, like, Carson's been saying it all night, the Chris Paul, like Halliburton comparison, I do think that Ayton would still thrive here. I do think that he needs a lead guard that is an initiator for him to thrive, but I think he could do that here. And he's not quite the rim protector that Miles is, but he is a floor raiser on defense, like I talked about. And I think that would really go a long way with the Pacers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Carson, anything you want to add?
2: No, I just uh, I'm really liking the idea of this Pacers uh, Phoenix hybrid. You know, the more we're talking about DeAndre and <laughs> maybe Cam Johnson, let's let's see what we can do here. Maybe maybe make the make the finals and surprise the Eastern Conference. Who knows? There we
1: go. Any any final thoughts, David, on this?
4: Uh, no, I'll just add like what you said. I didn't say it, but I will agree with you that if we could get OG and not Siakam, I would go with OG and anomi for sure. I just thought. Right. Maybe Siakam being more of a finished product, they may be more likely to trade him. But if we can get OG, I'd rather have OG.
1: Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Siakam, I think there's been some like back and forth there. If he's like, if he wants to be there, I know he's had some run ins with Nick Nurse. So I just – I wonder how he'd fit in with Carlisle because Carlisle is kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy. But uh, that will wrap up our Pacers talk. I, I did put this out on Twitter for our Setting the Pace page that we would briefly touch on the Colts' big trade today. that got the Matt Ryan. I know we've been going strong here for almost two hours, so I don't want to over overkill this. But I will I will start with you first, David, because I know me and you went back in the day when we were diehard fantasy football fans. You have stepped away from fantasy football Uh, I have not – I have carried the mantle for the both of us here. But uh, I uh, definitely am uh, intrigued by Matt Ryan as this new quarterback, another quarterback for the Colts, another Band-Aid quarterback, as they try to figure out the long-term solution here. But with where they were at, obviously, Ursa wanted Wentz gone at all costs. So that's what he went by all chips in. All chips in on getting rid of Wentz. Uh, We got (laughs) Matt Ryan for a third-round pick and uh, didn't have to give too much. So what are your thoughts on Matt Ryan coming to Indiana?
4: Really, I was excited by it, just by the fact that I've rooted for Matt Ryan and have enjoyed watching him play for a long time. Now, that's that's the problem. Is I've watched him play for a long time because he's old. Uh, so he is a Band-Aid, right, like you said, but he's probably the best Band-Aid available. And I was talking actually to one of our mutual friends, uh, Spencer McCreary, today about this, and he made the point that like we've been trying to find a QB since luck and we just haven't been able to it's, it's a tough job to do it's not an easy thing to just go find a QB and you're all set uh so they've been trying with some choices that have aged better than other ones but uh i think the Matt Ryan choice is good i you know for what we have available to us but i will say the value is better the problem yeah. is what are you going to do with the value now that you now that you've basically upgraded your quarterback position and upgraded. If you look at like the two different trades we made, you basically move up in the second round uh, or in the third round and uh, get a better quarterback because the the pick we acquired from the third round is higher than the one that we're giving up. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you get a better third round pick, you get a better quarterback. So now what do you do with all of that? And to me, if they don't go sign or trade, Or draft several wide receivers. (laughs) There's a problem (laughs) because at this point you almost have to re-sign Pascal. You almost well
1: he he's with uh, he just signed with the Eagles today.
4: Today, oh, I missed that. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So we don't we lost that. We so then you almost have to re-sign Ty, which I love Ty to death. But the point about um, some of the Pacers players having injury problems. I mean, there you go. Uh, We have we have. One wide receiver, really, because T.Y. is not under contract. So we have one good wide receiver, and he's really good. I really like him, but he's yeah. not a like a star wide receiver. And so with a aging veterans like decent Matt Ryan and a star running back and a star offensive line, like we have some pieces, but we are still missing a lot. And I think yeah. that we can definitely get to the playoffs and maybe get a win, maybe with Matt Ryan but really it's going to matter what we do in the draft and with the rest of free agency slash, you know, more trades happening. Mm, no, I
1: agree with that. Lincoln.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, 100% of the, the, when David sent the text uh, of the trade, the first thing I said was it's a band-aid, but it's, you know, it's fine. Uh, I do think that this is better than like a Philip rivers. Philip rivers was, he had like one foot in the grave when we had him on the team <laughs> and I mean, he's better than Wince. If you follow me on social media, you know that I'm not a big Wince guy. Uh, very much not a big Wince guy. So that was I was ready. I hate Baker Mayfield. I I think he's terrible. I was ready to talk myself into Baker if it meant no wins. But uh,
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I,
3: uh, I do think that. Matt Ryan is not – I think he could be more than just a one-year banded, which honestly, I mean, if you look at football teams, it's so difficult to be good from year to year with a different starting quarterback every year. So even if we had two years of decent Matt Ryan, I think that that is like – along with how little we gave up, I think that does genuinely help the team.
2: Yeah,
1: for, for sure. Carson?
2: I think I'm kind of viewing the, the change towards – um Matt Ryan as almost the inverse of what Carson Wentz was because Carson Wentz, it was like you traded Carson Wentz traded for Carson Wentz for the idea that of what he could become and for him to get back to a place where he once was. And with Matt Ryan, you're more so trading for like the here, the now, you're not trading for the future. You're getting a guy who, you know, generally where he's at, you can pretty much trust him. You're not really, playing these hypothetical games of, is he our quarterback of the future? You know Matt Ryan's not the quarterback of the future. So from there, that kind of gives you a better idea, and you're not left in this limbo. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did – I know that uh, Washington ate Wentz's contract, but did Atlanta – did they take on – I thought I saw – read a little bit about Atlanta taking on some of Matt Ryan's contract. Uh, So maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I believe that the Colts made out in both of their quarterback to and from they made out in the better uh, position in terms of like they got their opposing teams in each of those trades to eat the money. Uh, so to sorry, I guess literally. So <laughs> that really opens things up, and I am just crossing my fingers that Julio Jones is wanting to go play with his old quarterback. Oh, man. Maybe we'll uh, we'll have our wide receiver one to pair with our who's obviously a wide receiver two have the have a top two. Uh, last year was the best running back in the league, um, so I'm I think it's exciting. Maybe like if we could go out and spend big money on just like some big names like on offense, like Julio Jones go on the defensive side spend some uh big money on um uh and I'm blanking on his name the honey honey badger from Kansas City Matthew Matthew Tyron Tyron Matthew yeah, yeah 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 so like if we could uh uh sign some big checks uh for Julio Jones and Tyron Matthew that would have me really excited moving forward
1: Yeah so just real quick on that he left 40.5 million of dead cap to the Falcons clearing uh 8.1 million of 2022 cap space so, you know, he's uh I think for this year, it's going to be around twenty three point seven five million. So it's a lot better than obviously that signing bonus that they were talking about that he was going to get. And yeah I think he had a no trade class. So he had to like accept the trade to the Colts. And apparently they had the deal done on Sunday and he had to agree to it. And so it was one of those things where he was just kind of like went over the options. But obviously, I think this is a good fit for him. And, and I think you guys all hit the nail on the head here because. Really thinking about Matt Ryan, it's like, okay, we got a guy that can help us win now. But we know he's not the long-term answer. And if you look at this quarterback class, it's not viewed by many as a great quarterback class. Look, there could be some guys that come out of here and you're like, wow, I didn't expect that. That happens all the time. But I think similar to this NBA draft, I mean, everybody is raving about the 2023 class. Like everybody yeah. keeps saying this is the the draft class for the NBA. And they're saying that same thing for the quarterback position with the NFL and the 2023 draft class. So if you're able to band-aid this season, once again with Matt Ryan, and maybe feel like you've got the best quarterback in the AFC South, then you can establish your long-term answer and the next year's draft and let him play a year under Matt Ryan. uh, Once again, if Matt Ryan does a good job with this team, but I I still feel like even though Ryan Tannehill is not my favorite quarterback by any stretch of the means, he's done a good enough job in Tennessee to win win them the division the last couple of seasons, I still feel like with how loaded the AFC South, or excuse me, just the AFC conference is in general, if the Colts don't win the division, they're going to be in jeopardy of not making the playoffs. So, you know, yeah. they've they've got the AFC West this year, which is just a brutal schedule. Uh, seeing seeing what Las Vegas did, getting uh, you know Derek Carson weapons out there, and getting Devontae Adams. You look at Russell Wilson going to Denver. Obviously, uh, the, the the Chargers added some players as well. So it's just, it's just going to be a very tough um, tough to, uh, conference, not to mention Von Miller going to Buffalo. So it's just it's just loaded, and I think the Patriots are a sleeper team that could make the wild card, even though they did make some interesting roster moves getting rid of their cornerback. So I just feel like the Colts, you know, the receiver position is something they really have to address outside of Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, Paris Campbell can't stay healthy. They lost Zach Pascal. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, I'm not even sure if he's officially said he's not retiring yet or not. So we still have that. Jack Doyle is retired. They've only got Mo Alley-Cox at tight end. They don't have a left tackle. Uh, and Trading Rock, you now they have cornerback depth they have to, to fill. So um, obviously there's a lot of question marks here still moving forward. I think they can compete with Tennessee, though, for the division. But Tennessee being able to get Robert Woods with a sixth-round pick next year is just ridiculous, you know. Uh, it's like, how how do you get a, a guy that was that good for the Rams for just a six-round pick? Um, I feel like the Colts could have been a little bit more proactive and maybe making a trade like that because if they had him on their team with with Pittman and then maybe you go out and get a guy like Julio Jones on a, on a cheap contract, now you have some weapons, but uh I, I think overall I, I like the Matt Ryan pick. Obviously, a big upgrade over Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz just really wet the bed the last two games of the season. I know that he was coming back from COVID. Uh, but and the Jacksonville game was just not him. But that Raiders game was clearly on him and his inability to close things out. Um, it, it was so bad that Jim Mercy was like, God, just he wouldn't even he wouldn't even talk to him because Wentz actually, I think Zach Kiefer reported it in the athletic. Wentz wanted to talk to him and apologize for how he played the last two games and try to fix things. And Ursay was like, "Now nah, I'm good. <laughs> You're gone. So uh, the writing was on the wall. And, and for me, I'm just excited to see uh, how they go about trying to compete in the AFC South, but uh, they still have not answered the long-term quarterback uh, situation, but I think that they've done a good enough job of, of masking it for one more year. So uh, Lincoln, do you have any other final thoughts on this?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Touching on that wins
1: trade, I do think
3: that Ballard legit deserves some credit for that he was so terrible that our owner refused to talk to him and we still didn't have to give up assets to get off of him.
1: Yeah. Which, crazy. Again,
3: like when that trade came out, I was like, oh, we didn't give anything up. And I was like, all
1: right, yeah, it was great. <laughs> only thought, the, only sure, the commanders.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's most of being a good GM is finding the bad GMs and making deals with them.
1: well and this is just in now on sports Illustrated. i don't know if you guys saw this but the commanders reportedly entertained the notion of pursuing andrew luck before acquiring carson wentz uh i'm pretty sure the colts have already done that (laughs) before the commanders
4: you know but you know
1: andrew's not coming back i think we should all just put that to bed um yeah but yeah that i mean that was just a crazy thing like i think jimmy g would have been a better option for washington than Carson Wentz, and by by taking all that money too, like you said, Carson, like just taking that cap hit, and then us making the the the, the Falcons take that cap hit, like the Colts have really done a good job saving money. But at the same time, you, you can give Ballard all that praise, but he should have just traded for Matthew Stafford last year instead of Carson Wentz, and this team could have possibly, I'm not saying win the Super Bowl, but they could have at least maybe won it one or two games because I just feel like Matthew Stafford was just underrated out there in Detroit, but. Uh, obviously the Rams had a star studded roster. So yeah, for sure. um, Any, any final thoughts you want to add to this, David?
4: No, I mean, it's just the same old stuff. Like you can give Ballard credit for saving us money here and there, but like at some point we have to do something with the money and and with the picks and make use out of it. Uh, If the plan next year is to just draft talented wide receivers and try to Fill in some of the holes with draft player, you know, draft picks, and then tank more or less for next year and try to get a good get a QB. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, if that's the case, I don't know why you need to even make it make a trade for Matt Ryan. Um, so I don't think that's actually the case. But you know, they just need to find ways to after they've made these good moves to save money here uh, and to you know gain assets in different trades. Now, do do be something with that, please.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: Carson. Um, I say this somewhat jokingly, but not not totally joking. Oh. Uh, David will make fun of me because uh, we all know that tanking is not beneath me by any means. Uh, and there's something, there's nothing really quite like seeing a uh, the last name Manning on the back of a Colts jersey uh, in the blue and white and the horseshoe helmet. So I am not opposed if it takes a year of losing. Uh, for us to draft Arch Manning so be it (laughs) let's
1: do it Uh, let's do it I mean I was uh, I was expecting a Lance Stevenson comment here so (laughs) so I'm cool with Arch Manning so uh, just to put a bow on this whole entire conversation first of all thank you guys so much for staying up with me on a Monday night to do this podcast and give our listeners some content and some thoughts to think about here Uh, I just need a one or maybe I'll say a two word answer for who the goat is and in, in the NBA, so I'll start with you Carson. MJ. Lincoln. LeBron James. David.
2: Michael Jordan.
1: And I'm gonna send Michael Jordan as well. So three to one wins it. Thanks everybody for listening <laughs> to Setting the Face. And we will talk to y'all later this week. I have a lot more Let's than two wins. <laughs>